The Senate passed the military aid bill for a variety of U.S. allies, but will the bill be able to get passed in the House? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. If we want the world to remain a safe place for freedom, for democratic principles, for our future prosperity, then America must lead the way. And Marines in the Philippines aid the country during a natural disaster. What does this all mean for our defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Simone Perez. Today is Wednesday, February 14th, 2024. Hey guys, happy Valentine's Day. We consider all of you loyal listeners of the Early Bird Brief as our Valentines. Early yesterday morning, the Senate passed President Joe Biden's $95 billion military aid package for a host of allies. That includes aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. The legislation passed in a 70-29 to 29 vote, but it faces an uphill battle in the House. Former President Donald Trump is opposed to the legislation, and House Republicans are increasingly resistant to foreign aid of any kind. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer praised the vote. It's certainly been years, perhaps decades, since the Senate passed a bill that so greatly impacts not just our national security, not just the security of our allies, but the security of Western democracy. But three members of the Senate Democratic Caucus voted against the foreign aid package. They said it was because of concerns about the humanitarian crisis in Gaza and the high civilian death toll from Israel's offensive. Here's why it matters. President Joe Biden's foreign aid request stalled for two months in the Senate. Republicans had demanded immigration policy changes in exchange for their support on military aid to Ukraine and Israel. Trump disparaged the eventual deal that was brokered two months later, even though Senate Democrats agreed to immigration restrictions. Senate Republicans then backtracked on the deal and moved forward with a bill solely focused on foreign aid. Senate Republicans then backtracked on that deal, and Democratic senators then moved forward with a bill solely focused on foreign aid. But then a number of Republican senators said that the bill's lack of any border security provisions was the reason they weren't going to vote in support of the legislation. We should not send a dime to Ukraine until our borders are fully secured. The Senate bill includes another $60 billion in security and economic aid for Ukraine. The military support includes $19.9 billion for the Pentagon to backfill weapons sent to Ukraine through U.S. stockpiles and $13.7 billion for the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative. That is the program for the Defense Department to write longer-term contracts to send weapons to Kyiv. There's also $1.6 billion in foreign military financing that allows Ukraine and other European countries to use the money to buy weapons from U.S. defense contractors. The bill includes $10.6 billion for the Defense Department to continue providing munitions and other weapons to Israel, too, including $4 billion for the Iron Dome and David's Sling air defense systems. Another $2 billion in foreign military financing from the bill would go to Taiwan and other Indo-Pacific security partners. $1.9 billion will also go toward Defense Department efforts to backfill weapons sent to Taiwan from U.S. stockpiles. That would allow the U.S. to send weapons more quickly to Taipei. Another important story, Japan-based Marines are delivering food to a Philippine island where hundreds of thousands of people have been displaced from flooding and landslides. 795,000 people on the island of Mindanao have been displaced after heavy rainfall occurred between January 28th through February 2nd. 
A U.S. defense official said Marines from Marine Aerial Refueler Transport Squadron 152 had flown three sorties to Mindanao, then back to an airbase on the Philippines' main island. The Marines used two KC-130J Super Hercules aircraft to deliver more than 58,000 pounds of food and a more than 13,000-pound forklift. Their effort comes as part of a broader response by the U.S. government to the disaster. The U.S. Agency for International Development is providing $1.25 million in funding for emergency food, shelter, water, sanitation, and hygiene items. This is just one instance of U.S. Marines taking action during natural disasters. After a severe typhoon hit the northern part of the country in July, Marines from an aviation squadron spent three days distributing supplies to remote areas that had been affected by the deadly storm. Here's why it matters. The aid comes following an agreement last year to allow U.S. forces to operate on Philippine bases. That increased cooperation between the two countries overall is due to tensions with China about who controls areas of the South China Sea. Also on your radar for today, Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall said the Air Force will create new, forward-looking capabilities and reorient its strategy to the ever more tense Indo-Pacific. For more on this, Air Force Times editor Rachel Cohen joins the episode. Hey Rachel, thank you for joining us. Could you just tell us first, what acquisition efforts are being made to be a more ready force? Yeah, acquisition is a big piece of this overhaul. Um, So they want to create a new command called Integrated Capabilities Command, which is basically going to be like the, the Air Force's futures organization. So looking at things more holistically, you know, getting outside of just the you know, fighter, bomber, mobility, um, you know, specific kind of lanes and thinking about, you know, what do we what do we really need to be successful in the future? Um, how do we kind of coordinate requirements across the whole service? You know, do, do that in a way that that makes sense financially, that makes sense, you know, timing wise. Uh, so they're not duplicating efforts like they do in in a lot of ways now. They're also, you know, creating several other kind of lower level offices that will give more oversight for things like nuclear modernization, things like information warfare, communications, uh, you know, elevating those so people at higher ranks, you know, have have more more authority to run those programs and and more latitude in how they work together. And you know, some of the important non-acquisition pieces of this, um, they're renaming Air Education and Training Command to be Airman Development Command. It's kind of unclear what that's going to look like right now. Um, You know, it's going to do a lot of the same things, but they think that it will help streamline um, a lot of the different roles that fall under, you know, the the air education and training pipeline right now. So, you know, everything from boot camp to, um, you know, enlisted PME, uh, professional military education, tech school and, and, you know, keeping up your credentials and, you know, you're advancing through the skill levels uh, as you, as you move up the ranks, you know, they, they really want to kind of make that make more sense so that you're not redoing certain things as you go through your career. And so the, the other important thing to note about all of this is that it's not just the Air Force, it's the Department of the Air Force. So it's, you know, both Air Force and Space Force. So the Space Force is also going to create a Space Futures Command that that also looks at that same kind of stuff just to make sure all of the pieces fit, fit together properly. Uh, and so that'll leave, you know, kind of the day-to-day sustainment and stuff like that to Space Systems Command and, you know, let everybody kind of specialize a little bit more. And one of the big parts that Secretary Kendall talked about is how folks deploy people around the world. What did he say 
changing deployments would look like? Yeah, they're they're gonna kind of rejigger how uh, how they think about wings. So having you know wings that are able to kind of break away from uh, their their home base right now uh, without you know completely pulling out the support staff uh, from that base that that needs to be there. You know, like security forces. You know, all of the all of the day to day you know finance kind of people. Um, you know, how do you how do you make sure that your base is fully staffed and able to protect itself while also, you know, sending a standardized sort of set of capabilities overseas to, you know, go do the missions that the Air Force does every day. So they're they're really thinking about how to make that, you know, sort of more more plug and play, but in a, you know, they hope it's going to be a smarter way than what they do right now, which is basically saying, you know, hey, we need, you know, three contracting people and, you know, one maintainer and uh, sort of just doing it piecemeal like that. Um, so they hope that it's going to be a little more predictable for training, you know, increase collaboration across the units that that will end up training t- together and make bases more prepared to to defend themselves at home and, you know, keep that up no matter what is going on around the world. But, you know, there's there's a lot of details on that that, you know, are still forthcoming. Uh, they've been talking about this in in various ways, shapes and forms for several months now. And so I think, you know, it'll it'll take a little while for it to sort of come to fruition and for us to really get a sense of, you know, how this will look markedly different from what they're doing right now. And now here's some other stories we're hearing trips about. Stars and Stripes reported that two American military pilots were hospitalized this week after their AH-64D Apache Longbow helicopter crashed during an exercise in Utah. That's according to officials and local news reports. The Associated Press reported that Estonia's prime minister was put on a wanted list by Russian President Vladimir Putin over the country's removal of Soviet-era statues. Stars and Stripes reported that a study sponsored by the Defense Department revealed that the number of killings by Islamic militants in Africa hit a record in 2023. It surged 20% from the previous year as violence soared in Somalia and elsewhere. And a new report from the Bob Woodruff Foundation found that military and veteran charities are struggling to keep up with requests for mental health care and financial assistance. And on this day, we celebrate Valentine's Day. According to legend, in the 3rd century, Emperor Claudius II determined that single men made better soldiers than those with wives, so he outlawed marriage for all young men. Valentine, a priest, saw the injustice in the decree and continued to wed young lovers in secret. When Valentine was discovered, Claudius ordered that he be put to death. So happy Valentine's Day, I guess. <laughs> That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com ebb to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at Defense underscore News and at Military Times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Zamone Z. Perez. Today's episode featured stories by Bryant Harris, Rachel Cohen, and Irene Lowenson. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Bruce. Have a great day. <laughs>